Tag, everyone, and welcome to episode 111 of the F1 show for coverage of the Spanish Grand Prix. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau, coming to you from near F1 show headquarters here in Michigan. And where are you this weekend? Well, I am in Koblenz, Germany, uh, for a special business school course, uh, which happens to be just 45 minutes away from the Nürburgring. So well, that's too bad. That's a lot of noise and all the, the, the oh, yeah. hubbub going. You don't want to be any part of that. No, it's 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 been frustrating, quite quite frustrating. But uh, yeah, it's been good, and Germany's pretty fantastic. And uh, I've had a lot of Italian food, which makes sense to somebody in Germany because there's Italian restaurants everywhere here. It's it's the most odd thing. Well, there's like a lot of Chinese restaurants in America. I know it's just, I guess it's whatever people like. But hey, right on. So tell me about the Nurburgring, though, dude. So the Nurburgring is the most amazing thing I've ever done behind the wheel of a car in my life. That was fantastic. It was earth-shattering. It was so good that I have to go again. It's like one of those things. Well, it's what like it's what on the- did you do exactly? So what I did was I went to this rental place. Well, actually, it's interesting. So uh, to get on the Nordschleife, you have to rent a car to get there unless you have your own. So I had to rent a car um, from this place called rentforring.de. Ralph and Dale and Freddie, those guys are awesome, by the way, Um, really nice. And uh, I have a photo on the Facebook page um, with uh, me and Ralph and Freddie uh, posing in front of the cars. So I rented a Suzuki Swift Mm -hmm. with 125 horsepower and a five-speed manual transmission, a little hatchback. But they had racing tires on it. They had a roll cage in it. They had racing brakes and uh, racing seat and whole deal. So just strap into this little thing. And uh, it came with six tokens to get on the ring. And it came with, uh, you know, full tank of gas. And I just uh, was there at 8 in the morning the second it opened and went off. And I did I did all six of my laps uh, right in a row. So. I had the car for half a day, and I was done with it in an hour and 15 minutes. So <laughs> The Robin Warner way. I just, yeah, I just went through it. But uh, what was really funny about it, to get to, to – so I couldn't obviously use the ring car to get to the ring. So I had to rent a car to get to my rental car. But the problem is is the rental car uh, area in Koblenz is in this, like, industrial area. It's, like, near an Ikea and these other random things. It's not near any train stations or bus stops or anything. So you need so, to rent a car to get to the rental car to get to your rental so, car. Yeah, I need to take a taxi. I took a bus to get to where taxis are, and I took a taxi to where the rental car was, and I took a rental car to my rental car, the Nordschleife. Then I did the Nordschleife. That's great. You know, I didn't realize that Germany was actually still <laughs> part of the third world, but that's interesting that that's, uh, that's how it works there. But so, so it was brilliant, though. Then the racing, is it, or the, not racing, but the, the track day, uh, the, the driving, no, was it what it you is- thought? racing it is ridiculous there are so many cars on track you're always passing people and getting passed and all this kind of stuff and technically per german rules it's a two-lane highway so <laughs> that's right awesome lane, yeah the right lane is the slow lane the left lane is the pass lane the fast lane so you always have to pass on the left and you have to use your signal and all this kind of stuff but like the autobahn there's no speed limits so it's just a crazy place and i will tell you this was on my bucket list of things I have to do before I die. And now that I've done it, it is right back on my bucket list 
list 10 times over. Now I have to do it 10 more times before I die at a minimum. It's just for anyone that's into cars and into racing, it is epic. And um, the guys at Rent for Ring were also very flattering, which is good for their business, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> they told me that I've that they were extremely impressed with me. They said um, they had data in the car to make sure that like the engine isn't over revved and things like that. And they said that my data was very impressive for someone that never been there before. They're like, how'd you learn the track so fast? I'm like, Gran Turismo five. That's how it's done. Like, I'm just like Michael Schumacher. Pretty much. That's the deal. That's how I roll. So yeah, they were, they were very impressed with my driving, which made me feel good. It was a nice shot to the ego, which you know better than anybody is something I need a lot of. So, but it was awesome. Can't wait to go again. You and I need to go. And uh, make it rain awesomeness there. Yeah, dude, I want to. I want to go. But we also had a Grand Prix that we was did. possibly slightly less epic than your first drive on the Nurburgring, but had some pretty pretty interesting moments to it and uh, a lot going on. So, um, it sounds like you did have a chance to watch qualifying, did you not, over there in uh, in Germany? I did. I watched qualifying over a nice big bowl of beef goulash at a Hungarian uh, Hungarian bar, and this is what was pretty awesome about my qualifying experience. Um, I watched qualifying about 50 feet, maybe 100 feet away from the Nordschleife. So, uh, you know, in the background was a bunch of cars going by on the Nordschleife while I was watching qualifying in Spain. That's not a bad way to go. Uh, It is not a bad way to go. And all the coverage was in German, so I didn't quite get the same nuance understanding of what happened in qualifying that I might in the States. But uh, it was it was something very interesting for me to see. Um, but I'll let you start with your opinions. Yeah, well, um, as it started, you know, it was a pretty dry weekend. There was some talk about, uh, of, oh, there might be some rain that might mix things up. But no, and it's uh, it's Barcelona where qualifying is especially important, as everyone says, because a lot of times, you know, there's only been but one time someone hasn't uh, won the race from pole, and that was when they won from second place, and that was Vettel. So. Um, you know, qualifying extremely important, but as it came down to it, um, Q3 uh, ended up being, uh, I don't want to say a dud. I mean, there was certainly more to it than uh, than that, but um, there was so much strategy about keeping soft tires ready to go for the race that uh, people wanted to minimize their running in Q3. So uh, just to run down, you know, some of uh, some of what we saw. So the, in, in Q1, it was all the usual suspects out, um, plus, uh, oh man, I'm totally in the wrong spot for that. <laughs> well, I, what, who, what who fell amazed, out of qualifying there? It's it's okay. What amazed me about it was just it seemed just like you said, totally chaotic in Q1 and Q2, and how at the very last minute the times just started dropping. And uh, I remember in Q1, uh, Pastor Maldonado put in this screaming lap, and I thought, oh, he must have gone onto the soft rubber early or something like that, and then. Then he did it again in Q2, and I'm like, wow, that's, that's amazing. He got a really good flying lap in there. Good for him. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, the people that were out in Q2 as well, you know, Mark Weber was out. Wait, well, so, was out. Yeah, so Q1, it was Bruno Senna. That's what I was trying to remember. It was, was the odd man out in Q1, um, which is unfortunate, especially when you say his teammate uh, setting really, really screaming laps and actually being at the top of the field of Q1 and Q2. 
Um, but then, yeah, so the times just dropped so quickly at the end as the track temperature, uh, I guess, it cooled down just a little bit, got the tires in their zone, and uh, caught a lot of people out where there was a couple points where there was a, just a lot of traffic on uh, on the track at once. But, um, yeah, I mean, Felipe Massa, 17th, uh, the STR is up in there, then the, uh, the Force Indias, but Weber, 12th, Jensen Button, 11th. I mean, talk about some... some uh, casualties in q2 there just to, you know getting the timing right uh and button was really struggling for just outright pace i mean he was complaining of a lot of understeer uh throughout practice and into qualifying and he just you know even the interviews and stuff since he just sort of says yeah it just is not working right now the car is just not where it needs to go but uh yeah so it was kind of a little bit mixed up in that way um but then for q3 um the bottom three uh, qualifiers there were Vettel, Schumacher, and Kobayashi. Um, Kobayashi didn't set a time because his car died at the end of Q2, but Schumacher and Vettel just did like installation laps, but didn't actually set any times at all um, in, in Q3. And then the rest on up were, uh, were actual uh, time set. When I must say at the top by our man, our prediction, Lewis Hamilton, setting a brilliant yeah. time in Q3, a 121.7, half a second faster than anybody else. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I, I felt like, there it is. This is exactly what we were talking about, justified in our predictions. McLaren's still strong, the whole deal. And, uh, you know, I, I left the bar with that knowledge. Yep. You know, I'd seen, I saw Lewis Hamilton come to a stop on the track, but I'm like, well, that's not too uncommon for the engineers to tell them to stop on track for one reason or another. Right. Something that was too hot or low on fuel or whatever. And um, I, I didn't learn until the race coverage started. I'm like, wait, why? What? Why is Hamilton 24? Right. So then I saw that he had a penalty applied saying, okay, the car, they stopped because it was out of fuel. Or not really out of fuel, but they, they have to keep a leader in there to be able to do a sample. And they were going to run low on that leader. So they said, okay, well, we're going to, you know, we need to, we need to stop it now for fuel. Um, and so you figure, okay, well, what are the penalties they usually assess for this? Sometimes it's take away your fastest lap, figuring maybe you gained a performance advantage, um, which would put him in sixth. Uh, sometimes it's a five-spot grid place penalty, which would be the same thing, sixth spot. But then I looked back and they, he, they, they had disqualified Hamilton from the qualifying session, effectively, so he could start dead last from the race. So instead of being first, being exactly what we wanted and exactly what we predicted and, and really where he was able to qualify, getting that car uh, really in the top spot, um, he was dead last. It went from being the best possible result to the worst possible result, just like that. Unbelievable. I, I mean, just shocking. And uh, yeah. What can he do? The poor guy cannot catch a break this year. You know, it's like he's paying for all his bad behavior last year or something like that. I don't know. Right. But um, but that moved second place qualifier Pastor Maldonado up into pole position. So that, by virtue of the penalty, but it was anyway, is what it is. Uh, Pastor Maldonado on pole for the Spanish Grand Prix with Fernando Alonso right next to him, uh, which is brilliant for the Spanish fans and great for Ferrari. Um, and then uh, followed by the Lotuses with uh, Romain Grosjean in front, or the Lodi, I guess. Uh, Romain Grosjean in front, of, in front of Kimi Raikkonen, just barely. And uh, Checo Perez, and then uh, Nico Rosberg, and then, like I mentioned, the guys that didn't uh, didn't set times, uh, Vettel, Schumacher, and then Kobayashi, who didn't make it through. But kind of a mixed up grid when you look at, okay, Pastor Maldonado, you're, you, you look at that and you're like, okay, that's one of those, like, kind of like, you know, Hulkenberg on pole in uh, Brazil a couple years ago where it's like, all right, that's great and all that. Also in the Williams, actually. Yeah, but up. that's not going to last long. You know, like, let the big, let the big kids through, you know, right? And they're going to go through and, uh, and uh, do their thing. 
But uh, and so you look at well, who's who's that look good for then? Well, Alonso, you know, be, with the pace of the Ferraris, you know, kind of maybe Alonso can make something magical happen out of it. Probably not. Probably it's going to go back, and you're like, oh, maybe this is going to be a Lotus win. So it was sort of after qualifying, especially after learning of the uh, the Hamilton penalty, because you would think Hamilton would be able to sort of hold on to a first a pole position and, and you know the, get the strategy right. Um, and, and do well. So it's sort of like, well, that could be pretty interesting in terms of, of how the race unfolds. And uh, it turned out it was. Yeah, absolutely. No, but I, the thing, I, going back to qualifying just a little bit, it's shocking that uh, we had this kind of disparity between teammates. You know, we had, uh, we had uh, Weber and Jensen out in Q2 and Hamilton and um, Vettel getting into Q3. We had... Um, Senna, you know, being out in Q1 versus Maldonado, eventually taking pole position. There was a lot of lack of consistency there, uh, except for the the Saubers and the Renaults, who both qualified quite strongly. But the 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 qualifying performance that perplexed me the most was Vettel's. Yeah, because not only did he just do an installation lap, he was sitting, he was out on the pit um, with his engine running just sitting there idling, waiting for the session to go green in Q3. Hmm. So it seemed like he was really ramped up, amped up to uh, do something. Yeah, you might not have seen this with speed coverage. And he was sitting there for a good at least 30 seconds. And then he just takes off to do an installation lap and pulls right back in. I just perplexing to me. Like I, something I, I was didn't weird with the curves or something weird on the car. They're like, we need to test this and just figure out what the deal is right away. But well, the time. He, he said that he 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 could feel that there was no way he was going to go for pole, so he just pulled it in. But this was just his warm-up lap, so it's not like he did a warm-up lap and then tried the hot lap. At least I don't think. Maybe he did two laps, but either way, it was odd. No, it looked um, like he just, just the one. And, and I know the Q2 times don't really matter at the sharp end of the grid. It's just not being in the bottom uh, bottom seven and knocked out. But um, Vettel's time was seven-tenths behind Maldonado's Q2 time. So if you look at where, um, you know, assuming that was as, as good as he could have put it in, um, then if you look at Maldonado's time in Q3, it was a 22-2, so it would have been a 22-9. So it would have been, he would have been seventh instead of eighth if he had gone through that, yeah. you know, if, if that was his actual pace differential. So it sounds like he maybe made the right call by not running for pole and using up tires to move one spot forward when, you know, the way pit strategies and things are this year, uh, you know, one spot in qualifying is usually not, you know, a, a huge make or break in terms of the, the overall race. Yeah, yeah, possibly. Um, but the other thing, you know, you, you make a very good comparison between Hulkenberg and Brazil and Maldonado, but the, the big key difference here is, well, there's a couple. One, this is Spain, and they all have tons of time here, so they're really well calibrated to it. And two, it was perfectly dry. This was not a wet and drying session. Right. So it made me think, wow, what did Williams do uh, over testing the week before. Yeah, um, or if it's sort of the big story um, of the tires and the temperatures and the sensitivity of the track, if, like with Nico Rosberg, you know, I don't, doesn't, especially now with a couple of races later, doesn't look like, um, you know, Mercedes has just, oh, it all has come together for Mercedes. It's just that the combination of the driver and the car and the tires and the temperatures, everything, it just really came together for qualifying. Uh, and that would make sense to say, okay, you can get a really good qualifying lap, but... Um, like you say, we I, very few people I think really expected him to go on and uh, and you know be on the podium really for the race. Um, but we might as well uh, fast forward a bit. Uh, Pastor Maldonado uh, brings William back to uh, a top spot on the podium for the first time since 2004. 
uh, at the hands of Juan Pablo Montoya, actually. Uh, but wow. the first win for uh, for Williams in like eight years. And, uh, you know, at first, his first win, of course, first win for a Venezuelan driver. Uh, a lot of people are saying, like, I don't think I've ever heard the Venezuelan national anthem. You know, <laughs> like, what does that <laughs> even sound like? So just a huge deal for them. Um, and, uh, and it was on Frank Williams 70th birthday, which is obviously a great way to, no to do that. I did not know that. That's awesome. And that's the other, the other thing I couldn't help thinking. So it was, but it was, so it was the big disparity that you talk about between teammates. So it was, you know, Senna in 18th, you know, compared to Maldonado in first. Um, and then, uh, you know, and, and then after the, uh, and you know, we'll, we'll talk about Senna's exit from the race as well. Um, but uh, I can't help but think um, if, you know, Rubens Barrichello were watching this and saying, okay, so the car has come together now, the tires, it's all working. You know, now yeah. don't you wish you had a good other driver to, to, you know, keep him going? Like, yeah, it's great having the Senna name and a Williams Renault, but come on, guys. You know, like, you kind of wonder what, uh, if, if Rubens may have been able to make some magic happen there as well. But not, I can't take anything away from Pastor Maldonado, who really just, just drove brilliantly. I mean, it really um, kept he, he calm did. when he needed he to. He pushed when he needed to. The, you know, the, the pits went fine. He just, he got it done. He did a fantastic job. He uh, he had to do with race strategy, had to deal with the fact that he was behind at times and, you know, never seemed to really get desperate and try to push when he shouldn't be pushing, just like you said. And the other thing he did very successfully towards the end of the race was hold off Fernando Alonso. I mean, Fernando Alonso was on a real serious charge, and there was a couple of laps where he had Kerr's advantage and everything, and Maldonado kept him behind, and then Alonso's tires were spent. So at that point, he surged on. It was So not only did he have to drive quickly enough to keep Fernando Alonso behind him with the Durr's advantage, but he also had to manage his own set of tires. And he so, yeah, this is an extremely well-deserved win, and uh, I, I'm it's very impressed. I certainly didn't expect it. I bet close to zero people predicted Maldonado to win the race. So right. I think beforehand it was about 300 to 1 odds on uh, Maldonado winning the race, and I wonder if anyone took that bet. It was like, you know wow. what? That guy is going to come good this time, and, you know, who knows? That's, uh, that's pretty wild, though. Um, so, uh, and then uh, I guess there's plenty of other, other action in the race, actually, which was kind of wild. You know, a lot of times... Uh, Spain is a bit of a parade uh, in terms of, you know, people start, everyone drives, they finish pretty much where they started, you know, nothing terribly exciting there. But with the, uh, you know, up curs and durs and turs, um, really everything did come together pretty well. And, uh, and we had, you know, a, at the very least a lot of strategy, um, a, couple yeah. of, a couple of reasonable, you know, side-by-side -side moments and some cool stuff, but at least sort of, you know, the, the three-stop and four-stop even, uh, you know, versus two-stop strategies. Um, it, it did, you know, end up, you know, playing out pretty well. I agree, and uh, it's one of those things where, you know, as Formula One fans, you're duty bound to complain about it, no matter what. So I will do so. The problem that we have now is, is that the tires have become, in my opinion, too sensitive to temperature. They seem to, just like you said, they have the most narrow window of peak operation, and. You know, if you push it, if it's too cold, you won't get the grip. If it's too hot, you won't get the grip and you'll degrade the tire and, uh, you know, you'll lose durability. And it does seem to be just what's determining race winners as much as anything is Pirelli and the weather. So 
Well, you say it, that, but it's not like Pirelli says, ooh, this week, Maldonado. You know, it, 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 it's true. not like they have one advantage to their home team or something. It's not like a, you know, the Bridgestone no, Ferrari no. meetup where they're like, all right, we developed this tire for this car. So it's, you know, so is it a problem then that we've had, this is the, you know, fifth race and five different drivers from five different teams and we still haven't seen a Lotus or Kimi, you know, on top yet? Like, is that a problem? You wish that it were more consistent? It, 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 I just, I'm concerned that, well, it'd be interesting to see. I think that... I'm definitely going to be looking for um, to see how Williams does in the next two or three races. Was this truly a fluke with the weather and the track and everything else, or has Williams really found some serious speed and they're going to start, you know, being uh, contenders again? Um, you know, the only car that seems to be reasonably consistent in terms of like always in that top five or six is the Lotus, actually. So um, I was going to say, even the Ferrari, well, one of the Ferraris, um, you know, well, as yeah. as bad as that car, everyone said, oh, man, it's it's really no good. And the, the pace in Australia and so on. It's like, then how many times do you look at, boy, he's really getting something special out of this bad car until you think, well, actually, maybe the car's okay if Alonso is right up there and always, you know, always on the on the hunt. And uh, it's so it's so far to you know, tell because you don't have a barometer, you know, because well, Massa. You know, <laughs> Well, that's just it. Like, Massa always – he's been so consistently bad this year. Right. You know, you look, at, you look at our stats and you look at the graph, it's just shocking. You know, there's a couple times where Massa converges on Alonzo a little bit, but then boom, that just Alonzo is night, night and day compared to Massa. And I think – I think Ferrari has definitely given Massa his fair shake at this point, and I think maybe they should see him out at the end of this year. But well, and is it the end of this year or car. with this kind of performance? Is this even like a <laughs> mid-year? All right, Massa, you're our test driver. You know, you're not fired, but you're not you're not our guy anymore. And they bring in someone else. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I I don't want them to do that because it's a pain in the butt for the st- for the stats model. <laughs> so for that reason, I say keep them for the year. Right. But, but uh, so the the main reason the you wouldn't you the wouldn't, performance is borderline. Right. Well, the main reason you wouldn't want to change drivers is because none of the points he's accrued would count. Right. The, the constructor trump points are what they are. But as far as the drivers championship, you know how many points Massa has? He's got two. Uh, he has two points. Yeah, I was going to say four, but yeah, two you know, is right. It's like yeah. for everything. For everything that he's done, compared to Alonso with 61 points, who's actually tied for first place, uh, or at least second behind Vettel, with uh, for whatever reason. But uh, you know, so it's like if they were to change now, they're five races in. Dude's got two points, and he's in the you know what is one of the top cars right now. I mean, or Alonso is super amazing, and the car is terrible. But you know, obviously they're able to uh, with Alonso's hands anyway, able to get some success out of that car, and well. But Alonso is just Massa just is not for whatever reason. So yeah, unless we can get them all into a spec car for once and see what all their lap times are, you know, that's um, whatever. Maybe the car is built to suit Alonso. Maybe Alonso is amazing. Maybe it's some of both. But um, you know, it is. We were talking about this actually during the race because I I got up early today uh, for America time to watch the race live, um, and uh, we're talking about that on you know online and sort of like, well, who would they would they take? Because you know. There's been talks lately of Weber going to Ferrari, but he's not going to leave Red Bull mid-season. You know, that doesn't make sense. Um, no. And uh, then there's talk of Checo Perez, but, of course, he says, you know, he's he's doing his thing at Sauber, and, you know, they've got their deal, and that's fine. Um, so, 
you know, what, what uh, actually uh, Darren from RaceLogic, uh, who I follow on Twitter, was talking about was, okay, it's like, well, both the STR guys are still sitting there on the sidelines. You know, they're, they're both there without F1 drives. So you could imagine, like, an all-Spanish lineup with uh, Jaime Algashwari back in the car, uh, you know, or back in the, in the Ferrari for a mid-season, half-season, whatever. I mean, you imagine somebody like that may be able to get more out of the car than, than two points after five races, but... Who knows? Yeah, so far there's yeah. nothing's been announced, but it's just you have to look at that, you know, race after race and think something's something's not right there. The other side of it, though, and we've talked about this as well, is that it seems very common. Even a really good driver, really strong driver, um, to jump into a car mid-season and have trouble getting up to speed because there's no testing time and. You know, it's a different car, different team, and all this kind of stuff. So it has to be really bad before you make that consideration. And yeah, see but it how as far are positive. we from really bad, though? I mean, well, and that's just it. It's a, it's an honest question. But think about um, you know Fisichella, for example, when he jumped in for Ferrari when Massa had his injury. Mm-hmm. You know, he was quite getting quite quick in the Force India, and then um, just couldn't couldn't really make it work in the Ferrari. You know, he he was very, very far behind Raikkonen. So, you know, it's, it's uh, not Luca Bador far, but you know, and uh, <laughs> yeah, so I think it, it's a difficult question, but yeah, uh, you know, Moss's performance, you know, he's got, he's got a long way to go here. I mean, I'm looking at the stats now, you know, 17th, 15th, 13th, 9th last round. That's his two points. Yep. And then 15th again today. Just It's pretty sad at this point. Um, compared to a win and a second-place finish for Alonso, and he f- he's finished in the points every round. So, yeah. Pretty amazing. Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to talk about Lewis Hamilton. <coughs> Please do so. So, starting dead last, uh, as, we, as we said from, the, uh, from this penalty... And you figure, okay, he's going to have some back markers to pass. He's going to work his way up through the field pretty well. And he's Hamilton. He's got that aggressive, like, I can manage my, my tires, but I can go nuts on it. But I was, I was quite impressed with his run up from 24th up as high as 4th spot, about 10 laps into the race. He had worked his way up because people were pitting. Um, you know, the, the tires went off really pretty quickly. We saw pits as early as, like, lap 7, 8, 9. We saw, saw a lot yep. of people get into the pits. Um, yeah, but the Red Bulls definitely both Red Bulls pitted quite early. But to gain twenty positions, and he didn't even pit until like lap thirteen or fourteen. He was it was a little bit later on that uh, Hamilton was able to hold on to the tires and manage that. Which of course everyone's getting more and more spread out, so he's trying to lose as few places as possible in the pits. Um, and then so then he then he you know did his pit stop and then actually got back up to fifth place, uh, and then and then had to do another pit and, and was you know in seventh for a while and then dropped down to eighth. But um, you know talk about charging through the field um with hamilton the fear is that he's going to charge through the field like right into massa or right into another car you know we've seen that a couple times like oh he's down on his luck yeah, uh, I'm, yeah. Thinking, I'm thinking of spa and monza the back-to-back dnfs from from hamilton and a couple of these other problems where it's like oh man he's really got the fire oh no he crashed he's done yep that's it you know it's this time it's okay this is this is the mature hamilton we've been looking for and of course it's a disappointment that um the the fuel rig thing which we didn't even mention really wasn't his uh, wasn't the Hamilton's fault at all. It was that they were trying to fill the car and someone had the, the fuel rig set wrong. So it was trying to drain the car instead of fuel it. And then by the time they noticed, they only did it and put enough fuel in the car and they released it into the pit lane anyway for some reason. So that was the whole problem was this miscommunication, not Lewis's fault at all. 
Um, yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, sometimes you think, okay, he qualifies on pole, but you're like, eh, maybe he's going to get a penalty. He probably blocked someone. He's probably caused some problems that the stewards are going to not like. But in this case, it was the team, not Lewis. But, uh, you know, this, this would have been a great way. He, it really looks like he would have been able to convert this into a win um, if he had started on pole with as well as he was able to manage his tires and pitting later and, you know, losing as few spots as he did. Coming from dead last, I was very impressed with that today. Um, he did at the uh, closing laps of the race lose out one spot to uh, to Vettel, who was on a on a good charge then. But um, yeah, uh, you know. it was good charge and it was a good pass too. Um, but yeah, no, Hamilton did very very well. He drove well. He stayed calm, even when he he did have an incident in the pits again today where he he like nicked one of his old tires or something on his mm-hmm. way out, and the whole car like rear end bounced and stopped and. Uh, yeah, it was a and, uh, pretty big drop. Like it was because it was yeah the left rear again left rear um, yeah, the tire that it pulled off there and it was just this, this sort of you know wheel on the car to the wheel on the road contact but really grippy rubber and it pretty much lifted the car up um, looked like maybe about a foot off the ground maybe a little bit more and then just bam dropped it back down which you have to imagine with the way the suspension is stuff in that car you're like pulling away not expecting that and Lewis just takes this like compression to the spine like really uh, really tough and then to just be like all right everything cool all right go. You know, it slowed yeah. him down a little bit, but luckily, uh, yeah, nothing nothing worse than that happened. And the, the team sort of, I'm sorry about that, Lewis, uh, our fault. But, uh, I mean, yeah, so overall, um, you know, that's about as high, you know, without without any safety cars, without any rain, anything like that, to be able to do that in a dry race, just managing tires and, and being smart uh, to make up that many, point, that many places, uh, Lewis really did a great job. And uh, I have to say, better than, uh, than his teammate, your boy, uh, Jay Button, um, who I guess finished where he started. No, he moved up one spot by virtue of some attrition. Yeah, he, um, he just wasn't in, he wasn't impressive today. There were a couple of times where he seemed to be doing okay, but he was just kind of, he kind of had kind of a Nico Rosberg kind of performance where it's just like, yeah, it's not bad. You can't complain, but you can't also really, really, you know, be excited about it either. So yeah, it was, it was ho-hum for Jensen. Hopefully, uh, hopefully he can uh, change that uh, next round because yeah, it was not. That was more of a Jensen Button of old kind of performance, not the the McLaren Jensen Button that we've uh, gotten used to and love. So uh, I, I hope I hope this is just a fluke. But it's crazy because you know it still seems like in many ways McLaren has the fastest car, but you, the numbers don't say that at all. And right. it's, I mean, it's with, getting with crazy. With stop errors and with this handling problem that Button's dealing with Absolutely. now and this penalty from Hamilton. Yeah, it's, you know, part of it is having the fastest car. But, of course, what really matters is just how many points do you have as a result of the craziness and the weather and the penalties and the whole thing. It's just the end of the day is really what matters. And it's just right. not quite there for McLaren right now. And you have to say, for the last two or three rounds, it seems like his pit crew has let him down a little bit, frankly. His pit stops have not been great. He's had delays. He's had mistakes. Um, you know, it was ridiculous a couple of rounds ago, but even just everything, even just this little thing, I mean, you know, running over a tire like that, I mean, that that's that shakes you up. That nicks your confidence a little. You know, I'm not saying Hamilton isn't able to overcome that, but, you, you know. You have to overcome that. It should be like, exactly. hey, dude, we're here to exactly. serve you. We're setting you up. We're giving you the best possible, putting you in the best place we can to allow you to go on and be successful. And, yeah, run, you know, putting the, the wherever the tire was or Whatever happened with the the reason for that is is not the best way to uh, to do that. Um, Can we talk about um, whom I think is the most 
the least lucky driver in the field uh, so far this year. Okay. Uh, that would be Mr. Michael Schumacher. Okay. Oh, all right. I'm, I'm, I'm curious um, where you're going with that. So, so the big thing, okay, is Schumacher and Senna, I guess the neutral way to say this would be had a collision, came together, the cars touched each other <laughs> in such a yes. way that it ended both of their races. Yes. Um, yes. The circumstances leading up to that, I, there is, I guess you can take a, a, an opinion as to what is luck and what is aggression and what is uh, defending and, and what is normal driving. But uh, what's, 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 run us through what, uh, what happened, if you would. So from my perspective, from the, keep in mind this is German television, German coverage perspective. Um, it was pretty clear from the helicopter shot that uh, Michael had a run on Bruno. Yeah, he had Durs and everything, so he definitely had a run on Bruno. Had a run on Bruno and was catching him. And as Bruno was going down the straightaway, he was drifting towards center track from the outside line towards center track to cover the inside. Fair game, you're allowed to do that. Before the braking zone, as Schumacher was going to make an attempt around the outside, before the braking zone, Senna nicked back towards the outside of the track. He made a second move and he did so late. Schumacher, I think, erred in trying to scoot over to the inside again. I think he should have, I think he had the opportunity to um, not wreck the car if he had just braked early and given up the uh, attempt. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't think it was totally unfair, and I think it was awfully close. I don't think it was totally unfair for Schumacher to try to go to the inside, but then Bruno braked. And uh, Bruno broke because he had to. He had to slow his car down, and his tires weren't as good. But all of this could have been avoided very easily had Bruno not shifted back towards the outside line first. He had... my, Schumacher had well a comfortable car length, a car width to work with on the outside, and it would have been fair play, would have been fair racing, and then Bruno next to the outside, and I, I think it was Bruno's fault, frankly. Okay, well I guess you could. So it all could have been avoided if if Senna had acted differently. It could have been avoided if Schumacher, uh, having all the experience that he has and having this run on him and having the advantage of being, you know, behind the other driver. So he's, you know, looking straight ahead and seeing what's going on and be able to assess the situation a little bit better than maybe Senna is looking in his mirrors and trying to do his own race and his own driving line as well. Could have maybe, um, you know, judged things a little bit differently and not ended up with a very large closing speed crashing into, uh, and really sending Senna's car off spinning and, and, you know, sending bits flying everywhere. I mean, it was, you know, I think it could have it could have happened several different ways, and it's easy for us to look at it in replay and say what what you know who you know what the guys should have done in retrospect. Uh, but um, you know, I, well, okay. it did feel a bit more like uh, you know Schumacher had more of the opportunity to stop that from being a problem than Senna, who's you know like say looking in his mirrors, trying to do his thing, and uh, ends up you know getting at a huge differential uh, smashed into. From, uh, from I, I, I think that's a fair point, but I, I don't know that now, move. Probably that, doesn't that help. That move though. that Senna made back towards the outside, I have a really hard time with. To me, that was a pretty bad idea, regardless of where Schumacher is in your mirrors. Yeah, and I can see. I mean, I guess certainly on German television, you know, when they show Senna and he's got the little devil horns in the tail, and then they show <laughs> Schumacher and he's got the little wings and the, the, the halo. I mean, I can understand how that would that may be a, a thing. 
Um, it's a marketing thing. It's branding. Right. You know, ooh, Senna bad. So they each – and but, there's all these articles, you know, Schumacher blames Senna, like you say. Senna blames Schumacher. Yeah, Senna, kind of, like Schumacher. I say. Um, as you may or may not be aware, Schumacher has been handed a five-grid spot penalty for Monaco next race. Um, Lovely. Yeah, so that will certainly not do many favors in Monaco, but the stewards – um, have decided that it was more Schumacher's fault than Senna's and that uh, Schumacher deserves a penalty for crashing into Senna in such a fashion that ended both of their races uh, like 13 laps in or something. It was pretty close to the beginning. Which segues into my broader point brilliantly. Um, five rounds in, uh, Schumacher has scored two points. Just as many just as Massa. Like, just like Massa has. Um, if you look at uh, uh, Michael Schumacher's graph for finishing results, it looks like a wood saw, just up and down, up and down. His his ups are two times finishing 10th. Those mm-hmm. are his two points. But in the first round, he finished 20th. Third round, he was dead last. And in this race, he was dead last. Now, here's some interesting things. His average qualifying position is 7.8 versus Nico Rosberg's 5.2. Okay. So not as good, but, you know, reasonable, not too far off. Um, the bottom quarter of Q1 is another way to... Right. Yeah. In fact, in, in total, in five, in five rounds, he's 1.8 seconds uh, behind Rosberg in terms of qualifying time. So you're yeah. looking at about three-tenths of a second, um, roughly, um, per round. So not too terrible. His average finishing position is 17.6 versus Nico's 7.6. He's completed 50% of the laps versus Nico's 100% of the laps. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's had a rough go. And if you look at um, if you look at why, I mean, so accident damage here. Uh, then he had his 10th spot, 10th place uh, in Bahrain, and then he had a wheel. He had his wheel break in in China. You know, and uh, then he finished tenth in uh, Malaysia, and then he was uh, he w- he had his gearbox fail him in uh, Australia. I mean, he's had horrible luck this season, and uh, I, I genuinely feel bad for the guy right now. Maybe if he didn't drive so aggressively, his wheel wouldn't have been put on incorrectly, or his gearbox would have wouldn't have broken. Maybe it's his <laughs> fault. Must, must, must so, Okay, be. so I, those probably weren't his fault. But yeah, it's, it's certainly disappointing, uh, a bit like the McLaren situation. It's like, they, he should be better. Um, you know, it's, he's you know, consistently qualifying in top 10, but that is only two reasonable finishes are 10th places. You know, it's, yeah, things should go, to, go together a bit better than that. But, uh, you know, they, they just haven't yet. And, uh, you know, the end result of that basically is uh, you've got, like you say, Schumacher with two points just behind Massa, but with Nico Rosberg with 41 points. I mean, not, a, you know, not least of which his 25 points from his win. Um, but uh, yeah, that's a pretty big disparity there as well. Not quite as big as the uh, Massa Alonso, but um, that's, that's up there in terms of just overall results, uh, which really is what matters at the end of the day. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, you know, an, another drive that I think is where I, uh, okay, well, I'll mention Alonzo, I thought, drove fantastically, and I thought it was great for him to have a good result in front of his home crowd like that. Um, but I have to say I'm a little bit more interested in talking about Kimi Raikkonen, who seems to have uh, fairly solidly shut up any critic 
that says, oh, it's going to take time for him to get up to speed. You know, he's not, he's going to, you know, he's not going to be able to compete again. He's had too much time off. He's not motivated, whatever. Yeah. Once Lotus doesn't give him a competitive car, he's going to lose interest, blah, blah, blah. One solid run after another, one solid performance after another, good racing. Uh, he's done very, very well. You know, 49 points. He's, uh, you know, he's fourth in the Drivers' World Championship. You know, he's he's doing a very good job. Yeah, I mean, if, if anyone had come to us before this weekend and said, okay, if we're going to have a new winner from a new team, who's it going to be? I think the Lotus would be the reasonable choice and probably Kimi in that Lotus. Uh, we, I don't think uh, the, the Maldonado-Williams bet would have been a long one. But, yeah, it's they're they're knocking at the door, and it's really cool to see that they're able to fight for wins, but that it looks, you know, very, very likely that they'll actually be able to uh, to make that happen and just convert. But, uh, you know, yeah, that's the fact that they're, when it, you know, it went pretty wrong with tires um, when, with, with Kimi slipping back from second place down to, what was it, 16th or something a couple races ago when that was just uh-huh. getting the tires called just so wrong. But, um, you know, but but the fact that he was in second at that point, and so it was like, okay, that the strategy and the pace and overall the team is able to get the car right there, and it's you know really only a matter of time until things come their way and just the right amount of cloud cover on the track that suits the temperatures, <laughs> that suits the tires, <laughs> that suits the car, right. and makes Kimmy happy, and uh, everything happens. Or you know, if we have some crazy rain, who knows what? You know, all these guys uh, that that always shakes things up, and that could be a fun way to um, get his car to the top. But yeah, it looks. Um, you know, we've got we've got Monaco coming up. Uh, we've got Canada coming up. You know, always fun tracks, always classic in different ways. And, uh, you know, it should be cool to see this year's cars and this year's tires uh, coming through to Monaco and seeing how everything shakes out and qualifying and running through the race and the whole thing. You know, it's it's all fun. I mean, the fact that so far we, we really haven't had a sleeper of a race uh, with just the way things have happened and, of course, the, the results being as jumbled as they are. Uh, so far, it's all just pretty much good fun. And yet the... Uh, the points are ultimately, uh, you know, shaking out reasonably. I mean, Hamilton is still third in the points. You know, he's, he's been consistent enough to, um, you know, keep things keep things moving. It's you know, it'd be a disappointment if, uh, you know, with his with all the pace that you had to to really come up empty-handed. And he's still certainly well within, um, you know, within the leaders. So it's Vettel actually on top. Vettel and Alonso both with 61 points. A little bit of a drop back to Hamilton with 53. And then Raikkonen with 49 points, Mark Webber one point behind him, Button uh, three points behind him, and then Nico, and then it kind of starts to, to drop off a little bit, down five, uh, six points back to Grosjean, and then Pastor Maldonado has got himself up in there. So it's, you know, within one win of, of, of leading the race is like the top 12 drivers or something. It's really, or not 12, but... Um, you know, what I know it, what you're saying. Top yeah, seven. it's quite impressive. Uh, it's it's really still pretty wide open, and uh, you know, ultimately the the, the consistency is going to be a key. I mean, even who knows? You know, Mark Webber could start really coming on song and and really you know come back and be a factor here as well. You know, it's 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 still wide open, and that's what sort of what's fun about it, I think. Right, and I it's I'm almost more. I'm almost more tempted to say that uh, Perez or Kobayashi could come on. I mean, look at their qualifying performance as of late. You know, they've been pretty solidly in Q3 these days, and they haven't really been able to convert terribly well. You know, Perez ended up being out of the race today, and uh, for all the movement, uh, looks like Kobayashi only ended up ninth. Uh, no, sorry, fifth, which is a strong result. But, you know, they've been they've been showing some real serious speed. They're actually only seventh 
in the constructors championship at this point, but uh, I mean, at the rate they're going, that's a pretty darn quick car. And uh, I'd be cra- kind of crazy to see, you know, if Perez really gets switched on, if he can pull a win out of his hat, you know, and make it six for six, perhaps at Monaco, who knows? <laughs> or yeah, maybe I think, yeah, like a Raikkonen and Lotus at Monaco and then, uh, you know, Canada, maybe the Sauber's come together. Who knows? But that's, that's part of the fun. That's what makes predicting is such a challenge this year. Um, but the, the STRs, Looked really promising from the beginning of the season, and they got, you know, the point of that team is the juniors and, you know, getting the younger drivers in there. So you can't expect amazingness from them all the time. But, you know, they're 12th and 13th in this race, you know, behind the Force Indias, um, you know, behind, uh, you know, the the Saubers like we talked about at the top and, of course, the Williams at the very top. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I guess I, I maybe expected more. I'm not sure why, I guess, but it seems like, you know, we've seen – um, you know, every once in a while, sort of flashes of, of brilliance from STR. And uh, I don't know if it's the drivers or if it's the team still figuring themselves out with new guys or what, but they, you know, still haven't quite come together in a, uh, you know, hasn't quite gelled yet into a useful, uh, you know, p- uh, situation, I guess. And STR is the, the lowest team that has scored points, you know, except for the bottom three of Marussia, Caterham, and HRT. STR has got six points, which is better than nothing, but it's still, you know, only a third of what Force India has, and then everyone else goes up from there from uh, for team points. So uh, STR still has some, you know, some figuring to do to, to become a factor again, but, you know, there's still, we're only a quarter of the way through the season here, so, uh, you know, there's still plenty to, to go on. Yeah, another thing I just wanted to point out, uh, you know, the, the Force India cars also seem to be solid cars still, but they're just like, they've been the most consistent mid-pack car we've got. You know, if you look at their data and you look at the graph, they're like just right in the middle. Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone else has kind of had flashes of brilliance and flashes of terrible. And uh, Force India is just kind of plugging along. Um, so far... Um, it's uh, you know Paul Deresta has had been able to outperform Nico Hulkenberg in as far as the numbers go, but it's been quite close. Uh, you know their uh, their qualifying speed, their qualifying wins. Uh, Hulkenberg has uh, lost out to Perez three times, but you know over five races they're only fifteen hundredths of a second off each other in total qualifying time. So they've been very close. So it just seems like they're looking at another solid mid-pack run here. So Yeah. So it goes. But anyway. So this, uh, some post-race stuff, which um, I don't know if you've, if you've come across yet or not, but uh, Williams on the one side uh, having the, you know, brilliance of the first win in a long time and, you know, new driver and all that, um, that all the celebration was brought down a few notches by a massive fire that happened in their garage. Uh, and that was uh, actually, so because Maldonado's car would have been out with, not really victory lane, but, you know, kind of out there in the sort of the special podium spot. Um, the, uh, it was uh, Bruno Senna's car, which had been brought back to the pits, had a problem with the Kerrs. And there's, they haven't done a full investigation yet because it's just happened in the last couple hours. But, um, you know, something with the Kerrs sparking and then lighting fuel in such a way that there's just massive clouds and all this black smoke pillowing out of there and apparently really, really terrible smells because some of these, like, electrical fires and electrical things burning is just not a good situation. So there's Lovely. some pretty dramatic photos that have been put on Twitter and stuff of this sort of, you know, I don't want to say charred hulk of a car, but the, uh, you know, Senna's car 
being with all everything around it being burned and the car itself being being affected in this you know burned out garage compared with uh you know maldonado having having won and being celebrating and everything and and, and then there's also a photo of uh Maldonado carrying out his little his cousin like on his shoulders with all the fire going on behind him. So it sort of went from, you know, crazy ecstasy to kind of, you know, actual fear for safety and everything for a little while there. Um, and as I understand it, there are a uh, a few people in the hospital. I think four four or five mechanics brought to the hospital and checked out. Most people are okay. Just kind of had some smoke inhalation and stuff. Um, apparently, a couple of uh, like minor injuries, like wrists being injured or some some smoke stuff. But nobody in grave uh, in grave danger. So you know, it's good to you know, first and foremost that everyone got out safely. But there was also some. Um, you know, cross team people helping out. They were like, you know, once the, especially, you know, the race is over and whatever, but like once a situation like that happens where it's like, this is, this is people's safety and, you know, just getting helped out, you know, there was help from other teams, you know, people coming in there to help uh, get people out of the way and, and help move things and, and, you know, get the, get the fire crews through. So pretty dramatic situation. Um, you know, so, so Frank Williams having quite a birthday today um, on his 70th no birthday, kidding. but uh, yikes. So. Well, and, they already had the dichotomy, right? They already had, you know, one driver win the race, the other one get knocked out early and have to face, you know, the F1 uh, safety stewards afterwards. So they had plenty of dichotomy to chew on before no, the fire happened. They, they, so have, they was... have reset the bar for the, the mixed results day now. <laughs> so it's not only like, oh, wow, that's too bad. You're 10th and he's first. It's like, no, no, you have to be last or second to last in the race having crashed out having almost gotten a penalty and then having your car and garage set on fire compared to your teammate winning. That's the new bar yes. for the uh, difference in <laughs> okay. per- teammate per- comparison. I believe that we have talked enough. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's see what our fans have to say. Okay. Okay. As always and ever, this is our favorite part of the show. It is listener feedback. And we are actually going to start the listener feedback with a complaint. And uh, this complaint came from Desislava Simonova Jaliva. I think and we're going to get another complaint after the pronunciation. It's ironic because I'm certain I butchered her name. And the complaint was about how we pronounce names. Um, she says that we've been pronouncing Sebastian Vettel's name wrong this entire time. And being that we are a uh, good podcast that she is a fan of, um, she feels like we can do better. And she informed us that Sebastian's last name is pronounced Sebastian Vettel because in Germany, the V's are pronounced with F's. Now, me being in Germany for this past two weeks, I have actually been able to confirm that um, uh, very conclusively. However, it's not entirely true because uh, sometimes V's get pronounced with the more of a W sound and sometimes V's get pronounced with the F sound. So uh, V's are just misused in Germany in general. So, uh, But technically, um, Sebastian Vettel's name pronounced in Germany would be Sebastian Vettel. So it's more of a Z-sounding S, and it's an F-sounding V. Um, so we've made that correction. However, I am now going to say that we are going to continue to say it incorrectly because we hear it get spoken incorrectly all the time on American coverage. It's, it's actually a very common 
misuse and one that Sebastian doesn't even seem to be bothered by. So we recognize that it is technically inaccurate. It should be Fettel, but we're going to continue to use Vettel. Well, we talked about this a little bit. So so we have to draw a line somewhere, okay, because we don't speak – uh, you know, 15 languages or whatever we run into over the course. So, like, we're not saying, uh, you know, we, we should be, I guess this should, shouldn't be coverage of the Spanish Grand Prix, but the Gran Premio de España and so on. Um, you know, Fernando Alonso, that's, that's Americanized, you know, of, of his name, everything. So, you know, if... Uh, Actually, how do you pronounce Fernando Alonso's names? I think it's Fernando Alonso. Exactly, right. It's got to have, have, to have, have that... Rope between your teeth when that's, you say it. That Spanish flair to it and everything. So, yeah, um, you know, there's there's lots of ways we could we could improve our pronunciation in little little corners. Uh, if we say anything egregiously wrong, we try to correct that. Um, we still there's still some questions on how to pronounce some of the uh, you know, the Indian Grand Prix track, right? The Bud International Circuit or Buddha uh, or Bud or right. you know, you know, there's there's bigger fish to fry, I think in the pronunciation department and uh We'll just you know uh, you know not Algashwari is out of the car at least we can we can sort of gloss over that one but um, you know do yeah. we say Charles Peak we is that the French way I don't know so we'll we'll try to fit a middle ground in there but uh, yeah we can try to I, I can try to effify the V in Fettel a little bit and uh, try to make that work for you yeah yeah well and I guess in that sense should we now call uh, Romain Grosjean Romain Grosjean ooh ooh that 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 just no, we'll we'll do the best we can. We'll we'll leave it at that. Right. Well, it's French, so you just kind of pronounce the first third of the word and just kind of let the rest just kind of <laughs> just kind of fall out. Um, we did have a couple of comments on f1show.com. One from the venerable CKW Craig the Kilt Wilson, who was in effect and in action live for the last episode, and you heard him on the show if you listened. Um, and uh, he said it was just it was great to. Uh, uh, great to see the magic happen right in front of him. Uh, we were, I was a little bit, you know, I was curious to see what people would make of seeing our production of the show in person. Um, I'm not sure what people picture on the, if, if they picture us recording the show. I guess maybe they are now. And today, of course, we're separate again with you in Germany. And the last time I was in England and you were in Michigan, and now it's the other way around, except whatever. Um, but um, so, yeah, the uh, you know, we basically got started half an hour after the race, all done in, in a way within two hours. It, he was uh, impressed by the expediency, I guess, of our of our show and um, putting everything together and just thought it was cool to uh, to see that. And he says a special thanks uh, and a shout out to uh, Min and the Random Man for hosting us in food. And I really just have to echo that thanks that uh, that was great fun. And a lot of people seemed to like the show. And uh, it was it was just a cool experience as a, as a fun way to watch the race and enjoy England and, and whatnot. And um, and then, you know, he said, shame about the boring race in Bahrain and, and the winner uh, at being not a big fan. Um, but, uh, you know, he, so he has three questions and he says, oh, how do we rate the two TV setup with the F1 timing app? Which I thought was great. I am a data nerd of the highest order. And if there is a way that I can bring <laughs> more numbers and like graphs into my life, then I am a fan. So having the timing app on one screen, you know, fed out of an iPad or iPhone or whatever, uh, and then the actual race on another screen is brilliant. If we could get more screens and have more apps, then I would be all about that as well. Um, How would I rate the sky coverage of the race, Uh, which is an interesting question. So I haven't, um, I've only caught BBC coverage kind of sporadically if I've either been in England a couple of, a handful of times, or if we've downloaded that for whatever reason. And because Martin Brundle was the main guy on sky now, and he sort of, you know, leads the conversation and it's ultimately, you know, he's the lead guy. Um, it really didn't catch, strike me as all that different from BBC coverage. Um, you know, the, uh, 
I guess if I had watched the rest of the season on BBC and had this guy as a comparison, it would have made a bit of a difference. But um, that said, compared to the U.S. coverage, I think the U.S. guys do a, as good a job as they can for what they're given in terms of budget and in terms of access and information um, that, you know, the U.S. guys do great. But still, a, a sort of coverage from a network, from a country that really cares about F1 and all the people that they have at all the races and all the access they have and just the, the, the better feel you get of what it's like being around the paddock at any of these tracks um, and, you know, the track tours and all that. So I'm just in general still very impressed with the European coverage um, uh, you know, compared to what we get in the U.S. here, but uh, not to take anything away from the U.S. guys, they just don't have the budget and everything, all the support that they would need to do that level of coverage. But uh, anyway, so I, I'm I'm okay with Sky, except uh, as I mentioned, we were watching qualifying for uh, for the Bahrain race where the, the satellite picture kept cutting out and getting all pixelated and jumpy, which is not usually something that happens for BBC uh, because it's not coming from a satellite. So there are uh, some technical concerns there. Uh, question three, will Rouge Bovine Racing become standard? And apparently it will not because I had thought about talking, <laughs> referring to uh, one of the teams in such a way and that, that has not come to pass. Um, so it was, it, was, it was fun while it lasted. Yeah, we had a, we had a moment and, and the moment is gone. Uh, so how would, how, would you, how would you feel, uh, how do you feel about the, the German coverage? Are you able to get any sense for, for that with what you were able to see and understand? No. Got it. It, <laughs> I mean, it's, so here's the thing. I, I bought Rosetta Stone, and I got through a first chunk of it, but uh, you, you need to go through a lot more of it before you can really start understanding things. I mean, it, 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 was, it was nice. It was commercial-free. Yeah, um, that's a bonus. So, well, did, did, were you there with any kind of time before the race for like a build-up or interviews or anything like that? Yeah. No, they, they definitely did a strong thing. And the other thing, you know, the German – German, they only talk to the German drivers and the German engineers. So it was fascinating just because you're so used to hearing it the other way around. It was fascinating to listen to Norbert Haug, um, even so, uh, Sebastian Vettel, um, <laughs> Michael Schumacher, all those guys speaking in German. And you're like, why are they speaking in German right now? And but then you're like, oh, right, that's their language. So it, it, that that was just interesting. Yeah, that's interesting because I guess talk. if they if they wanted to interview Fernando Alonso, I guess they could in English, but they figure like some percentage of their audience isn't going to understand English or not well enough to make it worthwhile. So it's not necessarily like, oh, we don't like the other guys, but it's just sort of. Uh, you know, our market, you know, we, we have the benefit of, of understanding English, which is, of course, is sort of the accepted language for international motorsport and, and, and business. For and international everything. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, everyone on the grid speaks English um, to, to some to varying extents. But, you know, but yeah, that's a good point. You know, if they wanted to, hey, Pastor Maldonado, how'd the day go in German? He's going to be like, sorry, what? There's <laughs> not yeah, necessarily exactly. going to be a great interview to be, to be had there. Uh, so, yeah, and the commentators, the commentators are definitely fluent um, because whenever they said anything on the radio in English, uh, they would then translate it to German for all the viewers. So, um, right. And you figure the commentators, the interviewers certainly would be, but just if they want to, you know, they have to translate it for their, for their viewers. And I guess that, that kind of happens in the U S too. I mean, you know, you'll hear the radio and it's like, Oh yeah. He says the front tires are going off. And I'm like, how did he hear that? That sounded terrible to us. And yet someone, all of our our commentators used to be dentists. Yeah. They can can figure that stuff out. Anyway, moving on with the feedback. Uh, also we got a comment from, um, 
Joseph Simmons also asking, like CKW, be interesting in hearing our review of race coverage from across the pond, um, Sky or BBC coverage of the race. Living in Florida, just wondering about the difference in coverage, especially the Dario Cousin reference on every race. Uh, does Speed Channel and Sky share the same global feed? Really enjoy the lap around New Jersey, too, and enjoy the post-race podcast, Joseph. So thanks for the comment, first of all, and for the heads up on the uh, the New Jersey uh, lap. If any of our listeners haven't come across that, just go to youtube.com. Street Circuit slash f1show.com all spelled out and uh you'll see the uh robin and i doing a lap of the port imperial street circuit host of the 2013 uh grand prix of america probably um but um yeah so the the review and the coverage we we talked about and uh yeah we haven't i don't think we've gotten a dario's cousin reference in uh, in a race or two now but that is one of the big uh one of the big pushes with American coverage of F1 is like, or even we saw that with American coverage of the V8 supercars as well. It's like, how do we relate this to some name that our American viewers will understand? They're like, oh, Paul DeResta. Hey, you know what's cool about Paul DeResta? He's Dario Franchitti's cousin. Like, everyone's going to be like, oh, amazing. Yeah, and it's Dario. not even like Dario Franchitti's that famous. It's just Yeah, I mean, you have to be into racing to know who he Well, except he was, wasn't he on uh, Dancing with the Stars or something? He, there was no, a, no, no, no. That was, that was, was that Elio. Elio? Oh, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. It shows what I know. I guess that's Dude, my level of dancing with the Dario Franchitti's way too much of a Scot to be doing anything like that. Come on. Elio Castroneves from Brazil. Yeah, Come that's on. true. He's, he's, he's got that. Um, you got to know your stereotypes. Right. But, uh, yeah, Speed and Sky and really everyone shares the same global feed. So everyone gets the same um, you know, pictures from what's going on on track and the, like, the timing information overlaid on top of that. So everyone gets that, and, we, and they also get the same kind of feed that we can get with our iPhones or iPads with the timing apps. So everyone's got that in their studio, and then uh, they have their own control to do things like replays and, uh, and you know, slow motions, and sometimes there's like various in-car feeds that they can cut to, but it's ultimately the same feed, uh, which is the only way to do it. I mean, you're not going to have, at every corner, you're not going to have 20 TV cameras following the cars going around the corner. So, um, you know, sometimes it's trouble when you want to see some really good battle and they cut away to something stupid. Um, and in the, in the case of, uh, you know, U.S. coverage, for example, when Scott Speed was racing years ago, you know, they, was, they said, you know, they have the sort of extra replays of his spins and his generally poor performances um, just because that was sort of, oh, it's a, the American guy. We've got to see what the American guy is up to. So, uh, you know, you can sort of take what you get from the feed and do your own thing with it. But ultimately, it is the same feed for images and then everyone does their own commentary on top of that and uh and then like i say you know cutaways and then the, the grid walks and the different things you know everyone's got their own uh setup for that right so uh yeah and also in general of course we are up to 1195 people that like us on facebook that continues to thrive continues to grow that's been wonderful to see um the most recent um post on uh, the facebook page by us are actually um, uh, me uh, bragging about my trip to uh, the Nordschleife, and uh, includes a photo with me and the uh, and the uh, guys I rented the car from. I don't know if I mentioned that already. It's possible, but anyway, I'm mentioning it again. It's because it's on the Facebook page, which and that, is awesome. And that was just today. That was, that was just this morning. That's awesome. It's gotten yeah. really dark where you are, isn't it? You're like sitting in the dark now, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. It, well, it's nine thirty here. Well, sure, but are, are, do they have electric lighting there? I mean, I would think that there would be a way For to heaven's solve sakes. that. I just look back to our video. Hey, look at that. There's Robin. All right. It's only <laughs> three o'clock in the afternoon here. So what are you going to do? All right. Um, so yeah, and again uh, today, actually, the last yesterday for qualifying and today for the race, uh, I would just for whatever reason I'm 
still trying to stay on European time as best as best I can and wake up early. So um, we did have live uh, tweet, you know, live-ish tweet Facebook coverage of um, of the uh, of the sessions, which is a lot of fun. Just to be able to kind of as we're watching and see what people's feedback is in real time and and kind of share that uh, experience with them. So I've been doing that lately, and we'll probably try to continue to do so so that our timing works out with uh, you in various places in the world and uh, me at home and vice versa. So uh, thanks again to everyone for uh, for feedback. And if you want to be a part of this for next time, visit f1show.com. From there, you can see links to our Facebook page, our Twitter stream, and you can comment right on the shows right there. Or if you're an email person, you can email feedback at f1show.com and get your voice heard that way. Yes, but until then, I guess we're going to have to go ahead and predict. Yeah. Of course, it's time for predictions, and since I am no longer allowed near the predictions uh, spreadsheet or the, the model of, of trying to accomplish anything, because I would just screw it all up. Uh, no predictions for you. Right. I need your help, Robin, in deciphering yes. what it is we're actually supposed to be looking at and talking about the right thing. Well, for Spain, which is the race that just happened, oh, uh, you, and, you and I were uh, exactly the same. We both predicted. Brilliantly. Yes, that Lewis Hamilton would be on pole, excuse me, and that Lewis Hamilton would win the race. Um, so, And he was. He almost, was. Until he wasn't, and it was the worst possible result for predictions. Yes, oh. exactly, which means... So to be clear, that- we don't go by the end of qualifying sessions it is after penalties are assessed it is as they start the race it is on the grid exactly and so he went and he ended up qualifying officially 24th he was 24th on the grid and he finished eighth which he was was in the top 24 i mean i guess we can we can say that we can say that he was not 25th and he uh means that we scored 23 points for qualifying and seven points uh for the race win that is 30 points for you and i each and that that is um, butted up against our 28 points that we each earned um, <laughs> the race before. So uh, you and I are having a cracking good time at this. Uh, meanwhile, Damien, our statistical model, simple heuristic model actually, uh, predicted Sebastian Vettel would be on pole and Sebastian Vettel would the race because the statistic model is stupid and simply goes by who was on pole and who won the race last time. Um, Sebastian was not on pole. In fact, as we spoke, he only managed to qualify seventh, and he finished the race sixth, which means that the statistical model scored six points and then five for a total of 11, less than half than what either you or I got. The statistical model definitely won this round and is now solidly in the lead among the three of us. Uh, it has 54 points. You are still ahead of me by three, although the percentage that you're ahead of me is dropping. Um, you have 70 point, 74 points to my 77. Yeah, I'm just looking down the uh, the predictions uh, on our Facebook fan page under the on the facebook.com slash F1 show. Click on predictions, and a lot of people had Hamilton for poll. Uh, a couple people had Vettel, of course, as did our, our stat model, Damien. Um, I see, I see a Rosberg in there. I see a Button, a, a Weber. I mean, really, I mean, I, you know, I don't see. Um, ooh, somebody had Grosjean. That's gonna be the. That's gonna be a good one. No Alonso. Oh no, one Alonso in there. So yeah, there, a lot of people got a lot of points on this because if you thought Button was gonna do well, if you thought uh, you know Weber was gonna qualify well, or even even Vettel again, um, you know, you really you gained some points. Not as many points as the Hamilton predictors, but thankfully there were a lot of us. So. 
Uh, we'll have to see as the predictions get updated how that all shakes out and where we are in the compared to our fans. But that is all history, and we need to talk about what's going on for the next race, which is Monaco in two weeks. Time. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I can tell you um, that I am throwing the white flag. Does that mean? I've had enough. What? I've had Lewis Hamilton on pole or to win the race or both pretty much every round almost. And it has done nothing but burn me. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm done. Um, the only car Which of that course has means been... he's going to get pole and win the race next time. Is, is exactly. That means, so I'm doing him a favor. Okay. Uh, the only car that has been consistently quick this entire season has been the Lotus. And the thing that is keeping me from putting the Lotus on pole and to win the race without even batting an eye is the fact that it's Monaco and it's kind of a special circumstance. Um, though, so all that being said, ooh, this is a last-minute change. I think that Sebastian Vettel, <laughs> I'm sorry. Because the Sebastian, Lotus is so consistent, Vettel's going to get it. I was going to put the – I was all set to put the um, – I was all set to put the uh, the Renaults in front, and then I thought, no, but it's Monaco, though. They're waking in. So, so I've got Vettel on pole and Vettel to win the race, sir. All right, well, that— How about that? Monaco. I mean, that's okay, but that's lame because it's wrong because Vettel's not actually that good. It's just that he's had magic, uh, the magic car set up and stuff in the last po- position. I— have some very specific knowledge of cloud patterns two weeks in advance. And I know <laughs> that during qualifying, the uh, the temperature is going to be just right. That actually you had it right the first time that the lotuses are going to come good. Oh, well, 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 yes. well. So we are, are going to predict differently. We are going to predict wow. differently. One of us will, will gain an advantage. One of us will lose an advantage. And I think that you had it right the first time that Raikkonen is going to be on pole position. And he is going to go on and finish the race in first place. That is right. Kimi Raikkonen. Will be our sixth winner from a sixth different team, and the whole deal—it's just going to be great. Good for you! Wow. Cause think about it, because Kubica had like what the second place uh, at, at Monaco and qualifying back in the day. You know, the Renault—they—they they know their way around there. Raikkonen knows his stuff. He's going to be back at it, just getting better every time. You had the right thought, then you second-guessed yourself, but you can't do that in this game. Or you're <laughs> going to be totally right, and I'm going to gain like 48 points from you. But hey, whatever. Well, well let me ask you a question. Who do you think the stat model would predict for Monaco? Uh, I think that's an easy one, uh, and that that will be <laughs> the always solid choice of the Williams <laughs> in the hand of Pastor Maldonado. Exactly, exactly. So if that doesn't come good for us, I don't know what will. <laughs> but yes, the Which Damien is... Funny, is... You asked me that, and I was about to make my same mistake last time, and I'm looking at the predictions page, and it's like... It says Vettel, Vettel. <laughs> like, wait a minute. I know where you're going with that. Yes, All right. So. so if you haven't already, then definitely as our fans, head to the Facebook page and click on predictions. And if this were last year and this were a very, very consistent Vettel, Vettel kind of kind of situation for pole position and race wins, you know, there'd probably be too late in the season to really start making predictions and have a chance of uh, – of doing well. But since this is 2012 and just the way things have been shaking out, everybody is gaining lots of points because there's been some crazy results and there's not enough consistency for anyone to really get everything right. So 
even if you haven't started predicting yet, definitely go to the Facebook page and, and start. And who knows? I mean, if anyone had come in here and picked Pastor Maldonado of all drivers, they would have gotten a huge advantage over everyone else, and it would have been great. So um, anyway, that's on the Facebook page, and it's uh, all kinds of fun. And that, I think, will wrap it up for us. Um, yeah, so man, it's, totally. It's, it's a little bit less discombobulated this time, uh, where it's just you and I. We are at different corners of the world, but uh, we've got a pretty good internet connection between us. And uh, without, you know, I don't have a, a live studio audience staring me down and, uh, and, and, and interviews, you know, guests to interview and so on. So it's a little bit of a, of a more standard setup for us. And uh, I'm, I've got the, the comfort and safety of my own computer in front of me instead of that, that work machine I have to bring around with me to the other parts of the world. So anyway, it's uh, been... You know, thanks for listening. It's been good to talk to you, Robin. I haven't talked to you in a week, so nice to yes. see you and, and uh, yes. talk to you as well. Likewise. And uh, we will be back with our fans. Uh, where will you be when we are podcasting for Monaco? I don't know. Ooh, man of mystery. <laughs> All right, then. Well, Unless stay tuned, know. ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Definitely hit subscribe and iTunes to, uh, to find out where in the world is Robin Warner. But in the meantime, I am Jim Lau. And I'm Robin Warner. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs>